We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores, the games every day. Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius. This episode is brought to you by Untuck It and Axios Sports. Uh, Lakers are 5-1 and one on a five-game winning streak. And as Laker fans, we are very blessed to have seen quite a few really, really good Lakers teams. This team kind of reminds me of those teams. This team reminds me a little bit of the 2008 season where it had been a little while since the Lakers were good. And at the beginning of that season, it was like, oh, hey, that's a good win. Oh, hey, that's another good win two days later. And not only just the fact that they're winning, but kind of how they're winning is really intriguing to me and kind of pings on that, oh, I've seen this before and only really good teams do this type of radar. So we're going to start talking about that. So Darius against the Spurs tonight, they did not shoot the ball well, which has been a running theme. They made a lot of like dumb turnovers, kind of careless plays. They, you know, let their foot off of the gas pedal in the third period for quite a long stretch. And they still beat the team they were tied with for the number one seed early in this season in a very good, always very good San Antonio team. A lot of those elements right there, those are like only really good teams do that, like can get away with that and still get W's. Yeah, I thought the same thing was true in the Mavs game in two different ways, right? And so the Spurs game, 100%. You had tweeted out something like after the first quarter, eight turnovers, right? And they're still up one. After the first quarter as well, not only did the Lakers have eight turnovers, but they'd committed six personal fouls, but those six fouls led to eight free throws, and the Spurs made all eight, and the Lakers were still up one, right? And, and so 
there were a lot of things tonight that the Lakers did especially poor, and they still found a way to win this game, including like that long third quarter stretch that you were talking about where they took their foot off of the gas. I thought that this being sort of their first road trip and their first real time in this trip to Texas out of California since they went to China. And so it's been a while since they've been on the road and this is their first road trip. I thought they looked tired a fair amount tonight, especially in the fourth quarter where it was time to conjure up some things offensively. It it looked like they didn't quite have their legs. Were you seeing the same thing with that? Or was that just me sort of like, oh, making excuses? Yeah, no, I feel like I've seen that a bit on their jumpers. LeBron's jumper in particular seemed like, oh, he's kind of having heavy legs. And like, he's phenomenal on defense at the early part of this season. My, like the entirely pessimistic part of my brain is like, slow down. I don't want you to lose those legs, right? Like him missing jumpers in the manner that he was really pinged on my radar for what you were just talking about and just being like, oh, man, like, should he tone it down a bit? And I'm loving every moment of it as a fan. I just wonder, like, the sustainability. Is Dwight going to be balling out like this all year? He looks unbelievable, man. Like, do you have any, like, sustainability type concerns? I mean, I guess it's great to be having that conversation six games into the season in the first place, right? Where it's not like, oh, well, this isn't working well. That's not working well. It's like, no, it's working great. Can it last? Yeah, I do to a certain extent, especially with the older players, like with LeBron and Dwight, especially both of them are playing hard and they're just older guys, LeBron, especially, but Dwight with all of his injury history, he hasn't made it really through a full season in a couple of years at least. So yeah, like I do have some concerns with that, but honestly, one of the things I thought at the beginning of the game was, hmm, I'm interested to see how fresh they look when they come out. And then there's 26-year-old Anthony Davis looking spry as ever, and I'm just like, oh, it's so nice to have a young superstar. It's really been a long time that the Lakers have had a guy who is in his physical prime like this and the type of athlete And we talked about this on the last pod, but that AD is right now because he really seemed to have it going early. And I I thought, oh, the Lakers are down 5-0. This can sort of start to like maybe crest on them a little bit. But Davis was right there, I felt like, to carry them through that first part of the game. And, And that's just a fantastic thing to have for a team like this that has so many sort of veteran players who maybe need a little bit more time to to get into the flow of the game. That's another way in which AD and LeBron complement each other. We've talked a lot about their skill sets, but the young legs versus older legs, like AD is the difference between us being down, you know, by two or three versus 12 or 13 a lot of times in those first quarters. There have been a couple of times where he's really carried us as them old diesel engines started getting (laughs) revving up, right? And having a superstar like that alongside the wily KG vet, as though LeBron's not, you know, incredible athletically still, but... LeBron covers for some of AD's weaknesses, right? AD does not have the same grasp of the game that LeBron does, but you can kind of get the best of both worlds in terms of one absorbing those responsibilities off of the other's shoulders in a lot of cases. So yeah, man, the luxury of having Anthony Davis in those types of situations is just just too much, man. Dude, we, we got to talk about LeBron though. Like this guy... He looks like the MVP of the NBA right now. Like I, I, I 
expected him to come out great and with this like revenge type of mentality, but he's as productive as ever while doing that. And I, I don't know how this season ends. We're only six games in, but if we were going to win a championship, this is exactly the version of LeBron that I was talking about over the off season. Does it mean that we it leads to a title? No. But if it does, it's going to be because of this guy. Yeah, I'm, I mean, look, LeBron didn't shoot the ball well against the Spurs, 8 for 23. You talked earlier about sort of his jumper and how you thought maybe there was some fatigue in terms of how he was missing his jumper. I thought there was fatigue that he was taking those jumpers at all. Right, that he wasn't looking to drive and attack. They were running that AD... Um, LeBron pick and roll, the Spurs were switching, and he was scatting Davis out of the post and sending him either to weak side or strong side corner in order to isolate against Jacob Pertle, or Jakob Pertle, I should say. And instead of just sort of trying to drive to him and, and maybe get to the foul line or beat him off of the bounce, he was taking a lot of jumpers. And I thought, oh, like that's the fatigue right there. So LeBron didn't shoot the ball well, eight for 23, missed all six of his threes, was only five for 10 from the foul line, but was still another triple double, 21 points, 11 rebounds, 13 assists, plus 15 in the box score. That was a team high. There is a forcefulness that he brings to the game and that he's been bringing early on in the season. And that's not just offensively, that's defensively as well. That has really stood out to me as, oh, this is a level that he didn't reach very often last year when he sort of floated in and out of games. But we've seen it pretty consistently in this five-game winning streak. I remember you and I thought after the Clippers game, like, oh, LeBron didn't have it, that Clippers game. He actually tried to turn it on a couple of different times and, and like it just didn't fire for him. So I've been super pleased to just see the level at which he's been able to reach game after game after game, if if not for the full stretch of his 30-something minutes, then for extended stretches during each contest, he has decided, I'm going to make my imprint here. It's funny that you know you mentioned his box score numbers in that, because it was very much the opposite of how I felt about a lot of his games last year, in that I'd look at the final box score last year, and he'd be like, I don't know, 11 for... 21 and 28, eight and eight, something like that. You always know he's going to put up those numbers, but he did not like assert his will on those minutes. And the biggest difference is on the defensive end, as you alluded to, but even offensively, he is putting pressure on the defense in a way that I think the presence of AD is helpful in this circumstance because it means LeBron can go 100% for 65% of the plays instead of going 65% for 100% of the plays. Like LeBron load manages within the game. There was a really good article a couple of years ago from, I think, Windhorst uh, who did a piece on how LeBron does that and manages his body and understands the moments in which he can take a rest. Anthony Davis increases the frequency in which he's able to do that. So I was chuckling while you were saying, oh, he was eight for 23. I was like, huh, I didn't feel like that. Like I knew he was five for 10 from the line because he missed the second one pretty much every time when he went to the line, always short, right? Which is another sign of those legs. But in terms of just asserting his will, I think that plus 15, that game high plus 15 is something that's really indicative of, you know, how much of an imprint he put on this game. I want to talk about the defensive end though. 
his energy level, we've talked a lot about Dwight. Anthony Davis is incredible every night. That trio right there has been absolutely unstoppable on defense. And we forget that LeBron has that in him. LeBron was a great defender in his prime. And now he's a great, def- he's somebody who knows how to play defense with some, something to prove alongside two other great defenders in AD and Howard. The arguments against LeBron on the defensive end have never been a matter of capability, but rather a matter of like he's just not putting the effort in to be able to do that. So we've been very lucky to see this just prime version of LeBron in my mind for the first time with the Lakers in the first six games of this season. Let's take a quick break. And on the other side of it, we're going to talk a little bit about Frank Vogel. Unlike most brands, Untuck It shirts are actually designed to be worn untucked. Untuck It shirts always fall at that just right length, no matter his size, so it looks casual and sharp. You ever seen untucked button down? They look bad. Why? Because they weren't meant to be worn that way. Thankfully, there's Untuck It, the original button down shirt actually designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or shape, Untuck It shirts always fall at the perfect untucked length. And with the holidays near, there's no better gift for your favorite guy who needs an upgrade. Since they've got over 50-plus fit combinations, Untuck It shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. Since they've got over 50 fit combinations, Untuck It shirts look great on guys all shapes and sizes. It can be frustrating when you're looking to find a shirt that fits your frame, but you just can't find anything. But Untuck It takes care of that. You can find your favorite Untuck It style online or check out one of their 80 brick-and-mortar stores. Choose from styles like wrinkle-free, button-downs, super soft flannels, outerwear, and more. With Untuck It, your shirts will never look baggy, bulgy, too long, or too big again. And their website is super easy to use. They even have a whole page devoted to helping you find your fit. So whether you're shopping for the perfect holiday gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit UntuckIt.com and use code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T.com and promo code BLUE for 20% off. And while we're here, following a team you love in 2019 can be time-consuming. Trying to follow everything happening in sports is almost impossible. Scrolling through every app and visiting every website on a daily basis is impossible. That's why I subscribe to Axios Sports, the best free daily newsletter in the land. Axios Sports is a modern sports page delivered directly to your email inbox. When you sign up for free at sports.axios.com, you'll get the best stories from the NBA and NFL to cricket and ping pong and everywhere in between. Axios Sports also highlights the most important stats and trends, giving you the ability to stay informed. It's super simple to sign up and it's free. That's sports.axios.com. Not only will you be caught up, you'll be the friend sharing an amazing link with your buddies. Join the 100,000 sports fans who get caught up on the day before it even begins. And best of all, there's no paywall, no subscription fee, nothing. This is free curated sports content delivered directly to you. Sign up at sports.axios.com. Again, try for free at sports.axios.com. So it's going to feel weird to be complimentary of a Lakers head coach because it has been a long time since I felt that way. Vogel's been better than I would have expected. He he seems to get it in a lot of like, oh, we're kind of complaining about this collectively as NBA Twitter, as Lakers Twitter, I should say. And I, I perhaps have an overinflated opinion of Lakers Twitter, but I think when you get that many people who give that much of a crap all at once, I, I think that you can kind of find some wisdom in the crowd. 
and just certain things like JaVale's shifts, you know, being greatly reduced to now, as you said to me before the pod, Darius, he's a two-shift player right now. Caruso all of a sudden has found himself in the rotation after not being in it the first couple of games. The last two games he has been, and they've gotten two really good road wins. There've just been a bunch of things where it's like, hey, that needs to be tweaked a little bit. And lo and behold, he makes that change. What are you seeing with Vogel, Darius? There is big picture flexibility and there's in the moment flexibility, right? Big picture before the game, Frank Vogel said, you know, I'm not interested in changing my starting lineup at this point, not while we're winning games. So that's like big picture. I would anticipate that as long as this team is winning, he's likely not to make big structural changes like I'm going to change my starting lineup. Mm -hmm. That said, from in-game, he has shown great flexibility to sort of bend his lineups and bend his rotations to accommodate what the game actually needs. And he is guessing right time after time after time. And he has basically said, we need another ball handler in the lineup. We're going to swap out JaVale for Alex Caruso. And that works. We're going to take away JaVale's second or his third and fourth shifts and make him a two shift player. And that's coincided more with Kuzma coming back. And we're going to lean on Dwight Howard a little bit more. We're going to reduce Quinn Cook's minutes because he's not been bringing it offensively or defensively. And Caruso now is going to get more and more time. He's been doing a lot of little substitution things within the game that I feel like are super important. Also too, last year and even the year before that, under Luke Walton, you were covering those training camps. Every year, Walton would basically say, my offense is behind. We're focusing basically almost all on defense, right? And he had young players. And last season, I feel like the team was performing well on defense. And even the season before that, he sort of found something with some switching lineups. Vogel basically has this defensive reputation. He hasn't really given us any sound bites like we're behind on this or we're truly emphasizing that. But this Lakers team has come out with a strong sense of purpose and identity on the defensive side of the ball that we just haven't seen. When was the last time we saw this, Pete, from a Lakers defense? Oh, man. Seriously. The, the 2000 Lakers. No, I was going to say, right? Phil Jackson? Prime Phil Jackson? Yeah, like those 2000, and 2008 reminds me a little bit of it as well. It's just how they went about it was different. Remember that bench was really good and they were fun. Although this year's bench has been good in a different way, but Lakers used to go on really big runs at the beginning of that 2008 season. You had Bynum emerging. So this would have been late 2007 in the 2007, 2008 season. Uh, and they were fast. This team isn't particularly fast. So they go about it in, in a different way. But this team defensively reminds me of the 1999-2000 Lakers in that they're going to lean on you. They're going to be physical with you. And you're going to be exhausted and bloodied like a, like a prize fighter in the ninth or 10th round, right? Like Canelo got that knockout in a really close fight against Korolev the other night, right? Like... Sometimes that happens in basketball, too. And when it does, it's with teams like this Laker team 
where they just lean on you and they're so big and they're athletic and they're physical and just like you hang with them, you hang with them, you hang with them and then they land one shot and then that's a 20 to two run or a knockout punch by Canelo. It's the same thing, right? And that Lakers team in 2000 with Shaq and Kobe being this big physical wing in his defensive prime, Rick Fox was an SOB who was really physical as well. Ori had that great length. Forrest Grant. Um, or you can go AC on Gr- I, Horace Grant was 2001. Yes, yeah, AC yes. was in 2000. Yeah. But but you yes. get what I'm saying, right? Big guards like Ron Harper, right? Who just has that OG type strength. Lakers have a lot of that OG type strength on this team. And you really see them just wearing down teams. And you're seeing a run in like the late second or the late first half, early second half, almost every single game because teams are getting leaned on and leaned on and leaned on and eventually yeah. they give in. Also, too, like that's where I feel like LeBron is starting to say, oh, now is my time, right? There's this stretch during every game, and I think it's almost always been either in that second shift in the second quarter, right? Because Vogel, and this is where Vogel deserves some praise too, is he's really been managing LeBron's substitutions. He's been taking him out with three or four minutes left in the first quarter, bringing him back to start the second, letting him get like a seven or an eight minute shift, letting him then sit again for a couple of minutes and bringing him back to to close the half. So he's been giving LeBron, I feel like, appropriate rest during the first half. And almost every third quarter, LeBron has been coming out and really showing this burst of energy during the third quarter. And there is... This goes back to the point I was making earlier about sort of this physicality that LeBron still has too, right? And so when you were talking about how AD and LeBron can complement each other, one of the ways that they do do that as well is that AD can be a physical guy. You know, he can dunk on you. He will power through some smaller players, but he is still sort of like quick pivot, spin move, little jump hook shot, little runner, right? Like, let me, let me spin off of a defender and catch a lob. He does a lot of stuff that is sort of in between power and finesse and can sometimes lean more towards that finesse side. When LeBron turns it on, he is turning it on in a, I'm just going to get after you style with his physicality that I think contributes to that sort of overwhelming point that you were making earlier. Darius, how do you feel about the shooting on this team? From watching these six games, it's probably now my biggest concern about them, not simply because it's not going well right now, but just in a, I feel like I've seen what they look like when they turn it on and it looks really good in a lot of areas. The shooting, Channing Fry was talking about this with Jared Dudley, with Jared Dudley and Richard Jefferson on the Road Trippin' podcast with Allie Clifton, which was great. And He was worried, Fry was, about when the lights get a little bit brighter and you get to those deeper stages of the playoffs, do the Lakers have enough shooting that won't abandon them? I I feel like we're in this little stretch of where it's abandoned them. And that will correct itself over the course of the season. But I feel it's it's like the one possible Achilles heel on this team. Do you think the Lakers have enough shooting to be able to get to where they want to go? And what are just your overall thoughts on that element of this team? So having said this in a couple of pods, but yes and no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Um, I think they definitely have enough shooters on the roster. My concern is whether or not those shooters are actually the guys who should be playing. Right. Every shooter has these like fatal flaws, with the exception of Danny Green in some other areas of their game. Yeah, I'm, I mean, Danny Green's the guy who, before this game um, against the Spurs, he was shooting 50% from three. He'd made 15 of his 30 attempts. And in, I think, every game but one before the Spurs game, he'd hit at least two threes in each game, right? And so Green's been money. Daniels has not been money. <laughs> Daniels pisses you off. It always cracks. I mean, he was an end of, end of the bench guy for Phoenix and really has been that for most of his career. I find it kind of odd that he's in the rotation in the first place, considering this is a really good team and he wasn't cracking rotations on bad teams, but he's also shooting way under what he's capable of. Correct. And I feel like his numbers will normalize, but Daniels is shooting poorly. Quinn Cook is not shooting the ball well. We're going to get to KCP in a little bit, so I'm going to leave him out for now. But Cook and Daniels were the shooters who have pedigree, uh, along with Danny Green. And when Daniels ended up being in the rotation, I thought to myself, oh, great. If he's going to play, he's going to knock down shots. And then he had that great game against the Jazz. He hit four of his eight threes, and it was his shooting that helped sort of blow that game open. Um... He has not been good enough. Caruso, I like that he's showing confidence with his shot, but it's still sort of shaky. Yeah, he's not a shooter. He can make shots, but he's not a shooter. And those mean different things. Yeah, and so I would like them to have a player who is going to consistently shoot like just shoot to his percentages, right? Not like, oh, this guy is a 38% three-point shoe shooter because one night he goes six for eight and then the other night, the next night, he goes one for four. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I want a guy who's going to basically shoot two for five every night, you know? Sure, sure. (laughs) Like like, or three for seven or three for eight or whatever because Mm -hmm. those guys are the ones who I feel like are then going to say, well, one night I'm three for eight or, you know, two for six or two for five. And then one of these other nights, they're four for six or, or five for nine. And that's why they shoot 40% or 42%, right? I do think that they're a shooter short at this point, because I'm not sure if the guys who should be in the rotation are actually that quality of shooter. How about you? No, I'm in the same place, man, where I, it's a concern that I have. Kuzma's a guy that I think like is capable of it, but has looked very rusty in his first two games back. He's the guy who I think can come off of screens and kind of, you know, shoot on the move. He's a theoretical shooter at this point. KCP fits this description as well. But there's nobody aside from Danny Green who's proven, and Danny Green is very streaky. You're saying you want a two-for-five guy. Well, Danny Green is your quintessential seven-for-nine or 0-for-5 type of guy. So that is the nature of the shooters that this team has. And I do have some concerns that that's going to be something that bites them going forward. That being said, they're five and one right now with road victories over a good San Antonio team. What I think is a good Dallas team. I think Dallas has a good shot at the playoffs this year and a home victory over Utah while losing to the Clippers as their one loss, right? The Lakers are getting into their softer part of the schedule. Uh, you know, Phoenix being better than expected, you know, changes that a little bit. You've got Miami looking really good coming up. Toronto is solid, but Toronto's good. 
Toronto's good. The Lakers still have... Yeah, Toronto's a, Toronto's a good team. Nurse is a good coach. Siakam's a beast. But the Lakers are 5-1 and one shooting... I think just over 30%. They were 32.4% coming into this game. They shot six for 24. Uh, Kobe style in this game probably brings them just over 30% for the year. That's going to normalize, right? This team should be in that 34, 35-ish percent range as a team, and they're still five and one. So how fatal of a flaw it is remains to be seen, but it is something that's piquing my curiosity. Speaking of Kuzma, let's start with him. What have you seen in the first couple games back from him? I think that he's looked a little bit rusty, maybe a lot a bit rusty. I also think that he's trying to find his way a little bit and where he fits in. He's going lots and lots of possessions without touching the ball, which I think is going to be new for him. So I think he's going to have to fight some urges sometimes too when he does get the ball that he just doesn't shoot it every time. There, so there were two possessions that I thought stood out to me, and I'm hoping to see more of the second type. The first one, he sort of caught the ball. He got a defensive rebound. He pushed the ball out. No one sort of stopped him, and he threw up like an eight-foot floater that missed. Kuzma's perfectly capable of of hitting that shot, but there was no real numbers advantage. You could tell he was looking to sort of Euro step, but the defense never really committed to him in in that sore sort of way. And he just sort of shot a totally forgettable shot. There was another possession though, where he did this, he got a defensive rebound, pushed the ball up, looked like he was going to attack the paint, but then skipped the cross court pass. And I'm not sure who he passed it to, maybe Danny Green? I think that was Troy Daniels on that one. Yeah, it got him a yeah. wide open look and he yeah, didn't got make him a, it, but it was a great driving kick. Right. And so I'd like to see more of the second play than the first play. Um, I definitely think once he gets his legs on what will underneath him and he goes from being sort of a 18 to 22 minute player to a 25 to 28 minute player that he'll be able to get more opportunities and find his rhythm better. But he definitely doesn't look like he's in game shape yet. Like, are you seeing, I'm assuming you're seeing the same thing. Yeah. I'm seeing probably about 75% him trying to figure out how he fits in and about 25% the not in game shape, getting his conditioning up Mm -hmm. and all of that. That's certainly a factor and not a minor one, but I'm seeing a guy that's on the weak side on a lot of plays, especially when he's alongside LeBron and AD in those lineups where they're at the five and, or in those lineups where AD is at the five and Kuz is just standing there as a spot up shooter on the weak side and he'll try to cut and flow through. And he does that very well. There are a couple of times where he kind of cut at the wrong time. And that, that has to do with getting your timing back just as much as conditioning is a thing. Just the rhythm of an NBA game and when to do what, there's a component of that too that that you lose when you're out for a significant period of time. So that said, he's got a really good feel for those types of plays, but he's just trying to figure out like, okay, if I, if I cut here, uh, what if I do a wing exchange or an exchange with the corner guy and drop here? Uh, what if I set a back screen here? He's just trying to figure out, like, how can I get the ball? Because <laughs> that is the natural inclination of his game. And he's having difficulty doing that, especially in the minutes that he's had alongside LeBron and Anthony Davis. So 
early returns. This was kind of what I expected, and we talked about Kuz starting slow even prior to his injury. This is exactly the reason why, right? He's trying to figure out how he fits in. But how he fits in is those drive and cross-court kickouts to an open corner shooter that that you were describing in that semi-transition type of play that I think he will get more and more as time goes on. And it may not be reflected in his numbers or scoring numbers in particular, but there's a very useful player in there alongside LeBron and AD. One more thing about Kuz. I actually thought he looked more comfortable against the Mavs. Like he got a couple of back cuts. LeBron hit him a couple of times in stride. Like he got a little runner going. That was his, like his first game back. The second game, I thought it just didn't line up for him as much. Just like you said, it's definitely going to be a work in progress, but I'm encouraged still. We'll see, I guess. So speaking of useful NBA players... Your man, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope. It's funny. I remember we did a show leading up into free free agency, and I asked you what you would give him, and I was referring to a contract, and you said a a fond goodbye, I believe is what your words were. (laughs) Yes. And good old KCP um, has persisted and will persist through whatever nuclear winters we have and will be a Laker forever. And... He was actually somebody that over the last few games, when you and I have talked, you've been like, you know, KCP has actually been kind of good. He's been useful. He's kind of getting a bad rap. At least that's the impression that I've gotten from talking to you. So what are you seeing from him? I have not been the biggest KCP fan. If the Lakers would have spent his $9 million on a different player who played a different type of role, like I would have been fine. You would have been fine. And we all would have just gone about our regular days, right? Then he played in the preseason and everyone wanted to bury him. And then he got torched by Kawhi Leonard. And not only did they want to bury him, they wanted to, I don't know, like, (laughs) like, blow him up too like i don't know like <laughs> like what worse could they have done to him than just bury him but the last few games he has been playing hard defensively his shot fell some against the spurs like how many points did kcp have this game he went five for nine from the floor 14 points hit two of his five threes you know, didn't do much else in terms of the box score, but he was a plus four against the Mavs. He had a couple of big shots against the Mavs. Um, He's been playing well. Like I told you before, I think we should give KCP a little bit of love. And so I just want to show him a little bit of love. Like, look, when you play hard, when you make some shots, when you don't like make a bunch of like bad decisions, like on the fast break or put yourself in situations where you're like dribbling the ball off your foot, like trying to create a play like he did have that weird drive baseline. (laughs) In the first half where I don't know. The reason why he's so frustrating to watch is because he has a couple of plays every game where you go, what the what F? was he doing? Pete? You know, like <laughs> it, it just like offends your basketball sensibilities. And like in reality, it's one play. Like if it was another player who like missed the 16 foot pull up, they should have taken instead. But like KCP does just the wildest stuff or like when he freaking gets a skip pass and he'll pump fake and like wait for a second and then shoot like the way harder version of the same shot that's being contested. He, he did now. that again. He just does crap like that. 
this, it's freaking nails on a chalkboard for me. So you're absolutely right. He deserves some love. It's just like the thing when he's bad, it just, God, well, man. I think that you said this about Julius Randall a couple of year, years ago where you said that his mistakes are loud. Yeah. KCP's mistakes are loud. So, <laughs> they are. so yeah. and they're just sort of outsized. And I think the last few games, he's played his role well. Danny Green's been getting in foul trouble a fair amount early in games this mm-hmm. season. And it's been important to have a guy like KCP come in and play viable minutes and prove capable in the things that the Lakers are asking him to actually do. I think that he is finding the right-sized role for him on this specific team. And it's good to see him play to a level where you're just like, ah, NBA player. (laughs) You know what I mean? Seriously, because some of the other guards the Lakers have have been playing, have not been playing to that level. Mm-hmm. Like I said it to you the other day, I've said it on Twitter as well, that right now there are only four guards who basically deserve time on the Lakers right now, and KCP is one of them. KCP has been really important to our defense. One of the foundational principles of this team is the rim protection. And we talked a lot about this, especially over the preseason, and they've really enacted this as a team. And it's a credit to Vogel, going back to the beginning of this segment, is they're really being aggressive, closing out hard on the perimeter, chasing guys off of the three-point line, and defending the three-point line actually very well, which was a concern that I had. In doing that, by those perimeter players being aggressive, they're going to get beat by guys who are beating them off of the dribble in isolation or attacking closeouts as they chase them off of the three-point line. They've got to be able to trust that their rim protection is behind them. This is a point that we've made before. But the rim protectors have to be able to trust the guy on the weak side is going to help them out. They'll help the helper. And KCP has been probably our best defensive guard with honorable mention to Alex Caruso in this respect. From dropping down when Dwight goes over to contest a shot at the rim, which he's done so wonderfully, KCP is going to come down and make sure that that little dump off pass to the man that Dwight just left isn't open. And deflections or just being there so it discourages that pass in the first place, then everybody rotates like like hell and that's how you know, that's how you can use the incredible athleticism of LeBron and AD and some of the other guys on the team, but... KCP doing that like really helps build the trust that everybody else has. So since those first couple of games, and Lord knows he still drives me crazy, I don't want to act like this is some amazing revelation. I just do think that it's important to point out that KCP has been important to the most important part of what this team has been so far, and that's been their defense. Yeah, I mean, so look, when you were talking about three-point defense, the Lakers Coming into the Spurs game, at least, the Lakers were fifth in the league in terms of defensive field goal percentage against threes. Teams have been shooting 31.1% against them. A lot of that is the fact that the Lakers guards are being aggressive. And I think that starts with Avery Bradley, but KCP has been integral with that. And I just think you were spot on in terms of the import that he's had on the defensive side of the ball, especially going up against second units and how that is translated to the team's overall success as as sort of building that defensive identity being like coming first. 
Well, this is a hell of a lot of fun, man. Let's hope we get a full season of having conversations like this because it's been a minute and my Lakers soul, my my Lakers cup in my soul is being filled little by little and I'm just loving every moment of this. So uh, thank you guys for listening. You've been listening to Laker Film and Podcast. We will catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Campbell in and out. The ball is tipped and it's saved. Three seconds left. Here's Van Exel. This is for the win. He got it. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. An amazing performance by Kobe. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I know Red Arbach is uh, rolling over. Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you That's kidding it. me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? How strong was that? A triple and a fall away in the corner with a shot clock down. Lakers by three. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. And the critical part was Pietras jogging back, didn't bounce the floor. It's a two-for-one situation. Kobe Bryant picked up by Powell. There's the move. Two, one, missing. Unbelievable. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me?